Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Those who have listened to my podcast know that most of my homilies are focused on the gospel, and why not? The gospel is all about Jesus Christ, his life, his teaching, preaching, his ministry. We should know about it. Jesus is God. He teaches us our faith. This weekend, I want to deviate from the gospel. Instead, I want to focus all of our attention on the first reading from Acts of the Apostles. In so many different ways, this first reading beckons our attention. Now, I've said so many times, if you truly want to know the history of our early church, history according to sacred scripture, read Acts of the Apostles. That is probably the best way that describes the birth of our church as well as the growing pains that our church encountered the first few decades that it was being born. In the scripture reading for this weekend, first reading from Acts of the Apostles, is a great example of this. See, we have to understand the context in which it is all set in. Peter is now giving a very moving and very compelling evangelical sermon or homily. Now realize, it's on the morning of Pentecost. The apostles and Peter have just received the power of the Holy Spirit has rested upon them. Now they have burst out from the upper room and they're going out into the streets and they're preaching. Now we recall the story. Prior to Pentecost, the apostles were in the upper room, the doors locked, cowering, hiding from the Jews, terrified if the Jews found them what they would do to them after they saw what they did to Jesus, crucifying him. And yet, now the Holy Spirit rests upon the apostles in the great Pentecostal event. And now they bust out of that room. Now they are fearless. They care nothing about themselves. All they care about is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We also know that they were be able to preach in different tongues, different languages, languages that they never spoke or learned before. Now they are speaking. Now, the people in the streets that are eyewitnesses to this, bystanders, they see how excited the apostles are. They're euphoric and they mistake them as being drunk. Well, in response to this accusation, Peter now stands up. And in some ways, he clarifies just why the apostles are so euphoric and enthusiastic. See, now, now we understand the context in which this first reading is set in. Now let's go back into it. It begins to make more sense. Notice Peter. He's assuming the role of leadership. He's speaking on behalf of all the apostles. Remember, the apostles represent the church. And so Peter is speaking on behalf of the church. Peter is the first apostle, and like his future successors, he is going to always speak, just like all the popes in centuries on end have always spoke on behalf of the worldwide church. Realize also, Peter was never trained for public speaking. Furthermore, Peter was never trained how to write a speech, let alone give it, and yet now he's doing it 
to tens or even hundreds of people in the streets of Jerusalem. Remember, Peter was a simple fisherman. That's all he did his whole life. And now he's becoming this dynamic speaker. How does that happen? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first lesson we can take. If we truly surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have no idea what we are capable of doing in the name of Jesus Christ. But we're going to learn more about that on the Feast of Pentecost. Now, notice what Peter says to the people. Let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter is telling the Israelite people, the long wait for the Messiah is over with. The Messiah has now come. That's why he and the apostles are so excited. You could say Peter now gets it. He understands who Jesus was, his whole mission. He gets the big picture. Now remember, the Jews for centuries on end have long awaited for a Messiah, a Messiah that would restore the Israelite nation to the economic, political, and military superpower it used to have during the time of the King David. But what Peter is telling them is that through Jesus' resurrection, he now has proven that he truly is the Messiah. That's why one of the titles that Peter calls him is the Christ. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means Messiah or anointed one. The people throughout all of the Old Testament long awaited for this Messiah. And what does Peter say? Well, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's the unexpected Messiah. Again, the Jews envision when the Messiah comes, he'll be exactly like David. David was a warrior and a general. He also was a keen politician. He was both. David was able to raise an army, and that's what the Jews expect out of the new Messiah. We'll raise an army and reestablish Israel as the regional superpower of that area. But Peter tells them the Messiah has indeed come. But the Messiah that's come is not a warrior or a politician that craves power as well as conquest. No, the Messiah that has come is Jesus Christ who once and promoted and taught love, justice, forgiveness, as well as reconciliation back to the Father. Notice also, Peter calls out the Jewish people. He tells them how they rejected the Messiah and even crucified him. And yet, through the power of the resurrection, God the Father has now anointed Jesus as the true Messiah. More to it, Peter tells them that the Messiah that has come didn't just come for the Israelite nation, but came to save the rest of the world. Now, this is something that is startling news. Again, the Jews believed when the Messiah did come, he would come just for the Israelite nation because they believed they were God's chosen people and therefore the Messiah would help them only. But Peter says, no, the Messiah came to save the entire world so all who believe in him would be saved. More to it, the Messiah has also defeated the greatest enemies of the world. And they're not armies or nations or kingdoms. Instead, it's sin and death itself. See, that's why the Jews had such a hard time understanding this. And this is why Peter and the apostles are so euphoric. They're so excited because now they get it. They see the big picture. And yet, for all intents and purposes, because the other people in the streets, they don't understand this, they truly think that the apostles are drunk. Notice also, 
Peter gives Jesus the title of Lord. If you are a first-century Jew and a good and pious Jew, you called no one Lord. Even Caesar himself you did not call Lord. There is only one Lord, Yahweh, God. And yet Peter now emphasizes that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he has proven to be Lord and God. Again, before Jesus Christ, God spoke always through the prophets, throughout salvation history. Prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they were all great prophets. They all did their job. They carried God's message, the Israelite nation. And yet Peter is telling them, God himself has come into this world. And God firsthand proclaimed his word and liberated us. See, this is why Peter and the apostles are so euphoric. Now stop and think. When was the last time you actually thought about Jesus' resurrection and how it applied to your own personal life? Or just stop and thought about Jesus Christ and his true presence in your life and how through baptism you now share a life with Christ, a life that is beyond this world, a life that promises us that there is another world far greater than the one we have here. And in that world, we are promised immortality, a life with God and all the saints and the angels. Now, does that give us a sense of euphoria, just like the apostles? Are we taken back by that? Is that a source of joy for us? Think of it. God has come into this world so that you and I can be saved. Now, when we really think about that, that should really be a source of joy for us. Yet, so many things in this world excite us in so many different ways. You turn on TV and you see these commercials. You know, a certain commercial, a guy is selling a mop, a lousy mop. And yet the guy is so excited about it, he's bouncing off the walls. This mop can do everything. It can clean the floor. It can go buy groceries. It can go walk the dog. This is the greatest mop ever. In fact, he's practically jumping out of the TV to make you buy this mop. He's so excited about it. Or you change the channel and you watch uh, Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil. In prior years, you watched Oprah and you see the audience you know, sitting on the edge of their seats. They're waiting or on every word that the host speaks. They're so excited by it. Well, are we excited with our faith? Are we excited by the life that we share with Jesus Christ? Is it truly a source of joy for us? Or next in the story, it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, that's a great statement to make. Cut to the heart. Literally speaking, it's the deepest and the most lethal cut to the most vital organ in our body. Which means what? Peter's message affected the people deeply. It got to the very core of who they were. And they were changed by it. Well, it should for us. When we read that first reading, that should resonate deep with inside of us, recognizing that Jesus truly is the Lord of our life. Now notice the people's response. They say to people, Peter, what should we do? They've taken in that message. They've embraced it. And now they want to engage their faith. What's the first thing that Peter says? Repent. Repent. That's the first word that Jesus spoke as he preached at the very beginning of his ministry. It's the same word that St. John the Baptist used time and time again to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus Christ. 
repent. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. But we must also change our heart and our soul, our will and our intellect, reorder our life so that Christ is at the very center of our life. If we truly take this message to heart and it resonates deep with inside of us, we're compelled to change, to order our whole life towards Jesus Christ. What does Peter say next? Be baptized. Our church for centuries on end has proclaimed that baptism is the indispensable sacrament of salvation. I refer to it as the second greatest event in our life. The first being seeing the beatific vision, coming face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven, because now we know we've made it. We are going to be with Jesus and all the saints and the angels for all of eternity. That is the greatest event in our life. The second is baptism. Paul puts it best in Galatians. He says, at the moment of our baptism, we are now grafted onto the body of Christ. We now share a life with Christ that lasts for all of eternity. Notice too, at the very end of the story, it says 3,000 people were baptized on that day. Now that's an incredible amount of people. It must have been a powerful scene. It must have been a spiritually charged event. Well, see, this is what Jesus wants for all of us. Now, we've started that in the parishes I'm at. Our two parishes embraced evangelization. And we did it last fall. And in doing so, now our parishes captured that same spirit that the apostles feel in the first reading. I'll give you some examples. In the fall, we kicked off our evangelization by having a national speaker come in and give a series of presentations. After he was finished, people started coming up to me and asking, well, when's the next speaker come in? We want more of this. Or we had a mission. And as the priest finished the mission, again, people kept coming up to me and saying, when can Father John come back again and give another mission? At Christmas time, we gave out the Matthew Kelly books, Rediscover Catholicism. And in doing so, several months later, book clubs started up groups formed to study the book. Well, those groups are now finished with Matthew Kelly's books, but they haven't disbanded. They've stayed together, and now they've chosen other books to study because they are so thirsty for the faith and knowledge of it. See, these are just few examples in which our two parishes have really captured the spirit of the apostles. We see our faith as a sense of joy and even are excited about it to learn more about it, and to live it out in our lives. What's the challenge for our parishes now? To continue to foster and nurture that sense of excitement, that sense of joy that we receive in our faith, learning it and living it out. Just like the apostles did as they began our church in its very infancy. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.